you're able to get inside my brain, you know, and hear <laughs> what my thoughts are, you would understand quickly that they fray in a bunch of different directions. Uh, professionally, I was a hockey player, and now I'm a coach. You know, so one would think that's kind of what I live and breathe, you know, but that's not actually the case. Though I love what I do, there's uh, so much outside of the game that I'm really passionate about. I'm a, I'm a bit of a music and guitar freak, and I love motorcycles and the arts. I even like history and geography through my travels. My podcast is about all of these things, and I speak with some really cool people about some really cool shit that I've met throughout my career. And yeah, you will probably hear the odd hockey story. <laughs> so join me inside my brain, man, and welcome to my mommy thoughts. Okay, cool. We'll get it rolling here. Ready? Let's do it. Let's do it. Goodbye. Okay. All right. I thought I would change things up a little bit and ask someone to come on the podcast that is just a little bit different than the huge. Uh, this person was a business journalist on Wall Street, then managed to move over to her love of sports as a sports journalist, which I will find out how the hell that happened. <laughs> uh, she has been working with the KHL, the Russian Elite Hockey League, uh, I think since 2018. And this is where our paths first crossed. Um, we've had uh, many interesting combos about life in Russia and life in China. And I thought it would be really cool to talk about some of these uh, stories on my podcast. Uh, so it gives me great pleasure in welcoming my friend, Jillian Kimmerer. Er. Nailed, it. <laughs> Nailed it. Just keep yeah. adding the errs on the end, as yeah. many as you want. <laughs> Welcome. Nice to see you. Nice Same. to see you. Our I think thing. the last time. Good. I was going to say the last time we spoke face to face, I think we were in Beijing. So it's nice to uh, to see your face again. Well, I told you before we we went on air that uh, you're going to have to remind me about a bunch of shit because uh, I don't have a very good memory. I jotted some things down, you know, but it's that season was a bit of a blur for me. So in combination with my shitty memory, I'm going to I'm going to need your help. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> okay. Um, let me just start off by saying, uh, briefly, uh, how we know each other. So, you know, cause you're not, uh, my, in my usual friends group of the, the hockey group, if, if you will. So, um, Jillian and I, uh, met each other while I was over in the KHL, uh, coaching, uh, I was going to say last year, but it, now it's been almost a full season, uh, like Groundhog Day. Yeah. And, um, and we, we did a, uh, interview early in that season and I, I don't know, we had briefly spoken before that, but that's kind of where it started. So, um, I'll let you, uh, kind of give a, a background into yourself, Jillian, if you would for me. Sure. Um, so I, I was a recovering wall street financial journalist who, <laughs> Grew up loving hockey, just obsessed with it as a kid. And, and I grew up in the 90s when the first Russian players were coming over to the NHL. And they were so special and so different. And, and even though I was quite young, I, was, I grew up and, and still am a Flyers fan. And the Detroit Red Wings swept the Flyers in the 90s in the Stanley Cup final. Mm -hmm. And it was the five Russian players that they had acquired that sort of orchestrated all of right. that among some other talent. 
and uh, they just blew me away. And it started this lifelong interest, not just in hockey, but kind of in Russia more broadly. And, you know, I think life kind of takes twists and turns. And I was living in New York and finishing school and grad school. So ultimately, I wound up as a business journalist before I moved back over to sports. Right. But I never lost that kind of love for Russia and for hockey. And it just so happened that this opportunity um, passed over my desk. And it was a, a post-grad fellowship to move to Moscow, study the language, work there. And it's only given to a couple of Americans a year. And I applied for it. And I had no expectations going in. Um, I was one of the few people in the program that hadn't studied the language before. So I had no idea like what the hell was going to happen. But mm -hmm. I wound up making interviews and and winning the fellowship, and then I um, I moved over. And I'm actually initially I wasn't going to leave business journalism. I wanted to, but I just couldn't see a clear way out or you know a clear cohesive story. But um, I just kind of had this moment. I was I was working in Switzerland for, at the World Economic Forum in Davos, which is a big assignment for a business journalist, and the Russian contingent threw a hockey game, an outdoor hockey game, and they flew like Soviet players over to play in it. And they okay. only invited a handful of people. It was crazy. Um, and I was just standing there watching it. And I was in the midst of, I was about to find out if I won the fellowship. And I just remember being there like up in the Alps, you know, pitch black stars for miles and these great That's Russian cool. players in front of me. And, you know, it was just kind of like a eureka moment that I thought, you know what, I, I've loved this since I was a little girl. So if I win this fellowship, like I've got to take this opportunity to see it through. So, you know, I'd like to say the rest is history. It was a bit more bumpy and complicated than that, <laughs> as I'm sure you know, but yeah, I won the fellowship, moved and kind of never looked back. That's very cool. I, I did not know that how that went down. Like I, I always wondered when, you know, we first, uh, you interviewed me and I was like, how do you, does someone end over, end over <laughs> here? You know, like my story was strange, strange enough. And I was like, but you know, as a, as a reporter, for example, you know, uh, it's primarily Russian people and, 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 and then you, I was like, it just seemed very different. Uh, I, I thought, yeah. I thought that maybe you had a, a family connection or something like you're maybe part Russian or something, but that's a, and then when you told me later on that you were actually a business journalist and, and that whole thing, I was like, how the hell does that transfer over? And that's a really cool story actually. Yeah, I used to do the morning bell at the New York Stock Exchange every morning. So it'd be like 9am and I'd be standing on the floor talking about, you know, who was IPOing or whatever. So it was a big change, but it wasn't so much a, everyone thinks that it was, it was a detour, people that knew me later in life, but anyone that knew me as a kid and knew about my kind of passion for right. hockey knew that it was actually sort of like a coming back. But yeah, from, if you just look at that one snippet where, you know, I'm on the stock exchange floor in May and then, you know, at a hockey rink in July, it just seems crazy, but it, yeah. it wasn't, it was, it was sort of a long time coming, I guess. That's crazy. And it says here on your, I looked at your bio, you actually have a, an actual website. So it's made it a lot easier. Uh, you actually covered the summer Olympic games in Rio. Yeah, it was, it was wild. Um, I, so I had just moved over to broadcast from print. 
And I had convinced my boss, because I, I loved sports, that we should do this like business of the Olympics program. Yeah. And originally, we were just going to do it out of New York. We weren't going to go or anything like that. So I just had cool sponsors and agents and athletes who were passing through New York on their way to Rio come into the studio and do an interview. Um, and I really wanted to go. And actually, like my boyfriend at the time, he wasn't even that interested in the Olympics. And at the 11th hour, his outlet sent him to cover. And I was just like, I was thrilled for him, but heartbroken because I it was a dream <laughs> of mine always to go. And then finally, it, literally the opening ceremony is going and my boss says to me, you know, you, you and your team have done such a good job on this that we can't justify not sending you. So if I told you to pack your bags tomorrow and sent you alone with camera and mics and lights, like, could you come back with something? Would you be able to get down there, figure it out and come back with programming? And I was like, well, I don't know, but I can try. <laughs> so it's, I guess it was the day after the opening ceremony, I'm packing my bags. I got on a plane with all the camera equipment by myself, landed in Rio, was on the roof of a hotel at five o'clock in the morning doing my first piece to camera that I like shot and edited and everything myself. And then just kind of started networking from there. And about a week later, it was my birthday and I'm sitting at USA House interviewing Gabby Douglas, the US gymnast and we did some cool stuff with the sponsors that were down there, like the CEO of Omega Watches, because they're the official timekeeper, talked to me and let me try on some of the cool watches from the James Bond series that they had brought down there to show off. So it wound up being really cool, but it was just, it was a total oh shit moment. I actually wound up in the hospital because I threw my back out carrying around the camera equipment and the hospital at first diagnosed me with a stomach condition. So they put me on like all this medication and I was like, really, like, <laughs> I, it's my back. And then finally they changed course, but they have the balls to send me a Christmas email every year. So I'm like, thanks, like nice reminder, appreciate it. But yeah, it was wild, but I'm obsessed with the Olympics. So I'm obsessed with the fact that you played at you know, in Nagano, which must have been incredible. Um, so I would love to hear what that experience is like. Yeah, yeah, we talked about it a little bit. But yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty surreal. You know, when, I guess when it, unless you're in the Olympics, like multiple times, and you're in every, every time there's an Olympics, it probably isn't the same, maybe other than your first time. But if you're, you just are in one time, uh, and you've never been in one before and had no idea what to expect the 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 whole thing kind of just flashes by your eyes and and it's not until after you know it's done that you really go okay that that was really cool this part was cool while it was happening yeah i wasn't uh i i wasn't uh, just sitting there taking it all in at the time cuz back then too i was i was still only what uh, 27, 28, 27 still, and uh, a little bit full of piss and vinegar. So, you know, you're just all about the, <laughs> the result and just doing well and playing good. And, and that was all it was about. And it wasn't until later that I, you know, I wish I had a appreciate, I got taken, let it sink in a little more and enjoy some of the stuff that was around, you know, the games itself, like I could have given a shit about uh, all the other <laughs> events that were going on. I didn't go to one. You wow. Know? Uh, you would have thought that with it being there that I would have enjoyed going to see some of the events. And I never, I never went to one. 
I just was you were so playing for the home team. Like, of course you were stressed. That's, that's another layer, right? Is like, yeah. you're not just representing somebody at the Olympics. You're representing Japan at the Nagano Olympics. Like that's a big deal. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's what made it, you know, a little more, I, I, I wouldn't say I get stressed out, but uh, it made it more tense. Like you get more focused at, at trying to produce and, and do a good job because the whole point of your being there, my whole life over there was based around getting my citizenship, uh, playing for that team and doing well. So, uh, and uh, we were a severe, severe underdog because prior to 98, the team was a B pool team. So uh, to produce, you know, as an A pool team, you know, we, we had to really focus and, and try to, perform well and we, ma we managed to do a, a really good job but uh it wasn't uh if you had to ask me like right after the olympics the interview would have been way different because <laughs> i was uh i was pretty tense but at that time but yeah no it was a so, lot of fun are you the wrong person to ask how wild the athletes village really gets because i've always wanted to know well i don't know if you you remember well how how you how old are you i'm, I'm 31 <laughs> okay, right. okay i've never been asked that on a podcast before hey, hey okay. equal rights right e equal ladies men you know equal you, back in the day that was not the thing to ask a lady how old she was but that's any, true no i own it i'm 31 you, yeah okay well in in 98 olympics that was a bit of an ordeal <laughs> uh <laughs> with the US team. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and what had happened uh, in the village. Right. Um, but having said that, it wasn't like every team was going around trashing uh, shit. Um, but it was a it was really a weird, weird thing because everybody, everyone ate in the, the same place. So you know, you'd be sitting there and and Jaeger and Hall and Ronick right. and Wa, uh, everybody is just eating in the same spot, you know, on, in big tables, almost like a a cafeteria. But it was a pretty cool cafeteria. Like it, we had our own McDonald's. Now nowadays, you would never have a McDonald's. As far as I know, you would never have a McDonald's, but you could, and it was free. I don't know about that because they're a top Olympic sponsor. When I was, I went to London as a spectator because I was um, a college archer and one of my teammates was on like the shadow team for the archery team. Mm -hmm. And I was in the, like it, whatever the area was that they had designated. And I saw the world's slickest McDonald's in there. So I don't know. I think there could still be a McDonald's in there. Really? Yeah. yeah they, we had our own arcade. It was arcade. so cool. Yeah. The full sick. like well back then arcades were a thing and like like with all the big games and and you know I remember I, I can't remember exactly who it was but it was just a few of the U.S. guys and it might have been Rona Hall and a few guys playing one of these fishing games I think I think it was <laughs> like you know the big things you know you're you're actually fishing and they're they were like crazy 
like <laughs> the control. crazy competition. Yeah, it was it was pretty funny to watch. But and we also had another building right next to Big Hat, which was the the rink, the main rink, uh, and it was it was called I think like the Nike room or, but it was. It was only for uh, athletes, Olympians. So they, after our practice or whatever, we would go to this place, and it had all Nike, Nike uh, memorabilia, all our the the country's jerseys, and then uh, a few video games like the NASCAR video games, and food, and a lounge area, and TVs to watch the Olympic events, and and, and just the place to chill. And we would go in there and. It's kind of weird because sometimes it would be almost empty if just a few athletes. And one time, me and a few of the Japanese uh, uh, ho hockey players went in there to get some food after practice, and, and Lindros is in there playing the NASCAR game and wow. a couple other people, but it was just like dead and it was just so weird. The whole thing was really surreal. It really it was a, uh, a different time, but it was a, a lot of fun for sure. It's so cool. Another thing I was thinking is there's a McDonald's, but you're in Japan. Like I want to go to Japan so badly. And I think I would have to probably lose 10 pounds before my trip because I would gain 40 over the course of a couple of weeks. I'd be <laughs> eating everything in sight in Japan. The food is one of the highlights for sure. Oh, I bet. Yeah. Everyone that I always say, everybody that has ever come over when I was living there and playing there, uh, and people would come and visit like family or friends. They always left saying it was the, the best uh, experience they've ever had in travel or places to visit. That's it's really awesome. cool. It's really High cool. It's, my bucket list. it's tough place. You know, it's, it, it's a challenge to raise a family, you know, there and have kids and, and whatnot and, and schooling and, and just transportation there with, with toddlers and stuff is a shit show. But, uh, other just to go and visit it's mind-blowing it's it's really cool you know i'm proud of my heritage and in, in in the fact that uh the way they treat people and and stuff um they're very uh hospitable they're very polite uh people and uh always made it really fun to to have people come over and visit you know just kind of puff out your chest a little bit because they're really uh they're really nice that way and make you feel good about your heritage <laughs> that's so cool and i'm sure representing the olympics it, representing them at the olympics at home must have been such a special moment for you because you know I, we've talked about this because you worked with um kim newell who is a, a, a potential member of team china but a similar situation to you where she has chinese heritage she's kind of reconnecting with by playing in china and you know, just the opportunity to represent a country for the Olympics that means so much to your family. I, I can't imagine how cool and, and how proud your family must have been too on top of it. I'm sure they could have never mm. dreamt that opportunity could come your way, which is so yeah. cool. Well, that's one of the things that also that is a little bit different looking back. I appreciate all of it so much more now. Uh, mm. And I kind of kicked myself in the ass a little bit for the way I was back then. I, I, I was doing everything moving forward, you know, you know, building my life, my career, you know, and, and whatnot. It was the right decision to make, to get my citizenship, to go and play in the Olympics. And, and I ended up making a lot of money and, and, you know, 
built a good career, but I, I know, I don't remember going back home and, and just being so proud that my grandma and grandpa would be proud of that. Mm. And I wish I had been more just take some time to, to smell the roses kind of thing uh, and, and appreciate it a little more back then. But, you know, I guess at 27, you know, it was just a lot, a lot of moving parts. I had at the time I had already had three kids and, you know, it just, there was a lot going on and I, I didn't really appreciate it as much as I do now. Like it was really cool though, looking back that I, I think my, my Japanese side of the family were really proud of it, the whole thing. Well, not just a little bit, like they're really proud of the whole thing that, you know, and I can imagine prior to going to Japan, I didn't, I didn't know how to speak Japanese other than hello and goodbye and thank you to my grandma and grandpa. And I don't know how I even communicated with them. I used to stay with them all the time and, I don't, they don't speak English. Well, my grandpa did a little bit, but um, they were, must have been so happy that I was doing that, especially I my grandma. Imagine. Yeah, no. Did I you, was, didn't the Japanese royal family come to one of your games or something? I remember you told me yeah, that. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, it was, I don't remember which game it was. And uh, it was a like a huge deal for the Japanese uh I remember the Jap- Japanese staff was freaking out. Like it was a big deal. I, like I said, back then, I didn't really care. <laughs> I didn't really care. Uh, when you're 27, you're kind of too hot-blooded to stop and smell the roses. Like it doesn't really matter who you are, but let alone a professional athlete, you know, like you're just on to the next. Yeah. Yeah. Some of my personality traits back then uh, uh, were a little bit different than they are now. <laughs> I was going to say, you're so chilled out now. I can't imagine you not being in the moment, but. Well, well, it's kind of funny because like I joke about it all the time. Like guys I coach and stuff, uh, I I use a lot of my past as coaching tools because I made a lot of stupid mistakes. And uh, (laughs) I tell some of the stories about how I was and stuff to some of the, the players, you know, the goalies. And they can't. I think they think I'm embellishing or totally full of shit because uh, of how I am now. Right. Um, do you want to share Dusty? What the hell did you do that all these guys are like staring at you? You're uh, crazy. Oh man. That's, I don't even think I could put that in a podcast. That, that literally <laughs> would be a whole book. It's uh, oh, I had, awesome. I have so much ammo as far as I use it in a good way for teaching uh, yeah. because I think, uh, to be a, a good teacher, sometimes uh, showing your vulnerability and ex- exposing your faults and yes. mistakes uh, really develops uh, um, a, a better uh, bond and relationship with whoever you're trying to coach or whatever. But uh, <laughs> there's a lot, man. Uh, yeah, there's there's a lot. Well, a lot of people don't know that, uh, like up until, geez, 38 uh i from 15 to from 15 to 38 i was like on this uh play hard party hard train from the beginning to the end like literally i i did everything 100 <laughs> let's let's just say <laughs> and uh 
and then I, I quit, uh, I quit drinking and, 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 uh, it's been a good 12, 10, 12 years now that I don't drink anymore, but, uh, there, there were a lot of stories. Uh, I'm actually, it's funny. This is actually a, a good thing to tell. Cause I, I have a, a, a buddy that I played with for uh, my first nine, 10 years there in Japan. And he's a Canadian guy. He was an import and uh, his name's Chris Bright. And I, I just uh, texted him the other day and I said, how'd you feel about coming on the podcast? Because uh, he might not be one of my more famous uh, NHL guys, but sure. uh, we have a, a huge history together. And I wanted to just get into some of the stories and, and, and living there for so long and playing together for so long. And um, he texted me back and he said he's 100% in. So uh, well, that'll be awesome. It, yeah. I wanted to be able to, to, you know, talk about all these things, but with someone that I actually lived it with. And he was the best uh, one I could think of. You know, I have a bunch of close uh, players and friends that I played with, but I, I chose him because I, I think he'd be a, a good storyteller <laughs> as well. And <laughs> he shared in a lot of these stories with me. So I think he's going to come on at the end of the month. That's awesome. I want to hear that one. Uh, I hope yeah. we can go beyond PG on those stories. I don't know. I don't know what the podcast world demands, but I bet you have some good ones. Well, I put the the little E on the on my podcast, so I can I can I can. Oh, as long say, as you got the E, we're good. Yeah, I can <laughs> say whatever I want, but you know, I still, still do need a job. I'm so I got to be careful that I don't uh, uh, make myself look too bad. <laughs> Fair. Okay. So, okay. <laughs> Um, I wanted to ask you before we, I want, I, I was going to ask you if you had a few stories about, you know, we'll jump into the whole about Russia and then even over to China. But uh, before, before we go into that, I will, I want to ask you quickly, uh, favorite Russian city. Oh, favorite Russian city. Um, I'll give you an, Obvious answer and a not so obvious answer. So the obvious answer is Moscow because I lived there. And I think it's really underappreciated by people who haven't been how amazing Moscow is. Like you you see it on TV the way it's portrayed and it's industrial and Soviet and scary and gray. And then you go there and it's imperial and cool and colorful and filled with light even in the winter and and it it totally blew my mind the first time I went and it it's stuck with me ever since it's a uh, the city of my dreams really because I spent my whole childhood dreaming of going there and then finally got to move but there's um actually it's not even a city it's a small town that I went to this is such a bizarre story but um but Kuman Red Star had a this was before actually you joined they had a training camp in Sergeyev Passad, which is basically the seat of the Russian Orthodox. Like it's basically the Russian Orthodox Vatican. So why they were there and what this whole, how they wound up there for training camp of all places, I don't know. And I got stranded there because they decided that this was the previous coaching staff that they weren't gonna take any interviews until 30 minutes before the team had to get on the bus. And I was there five days before that was scheduled to take place. So I got stranded in basically this monastery for five days. And I was just wandering around like, where am I 
So on one of the days, I took a ride out to Suzdal, which is another town on the Golden Ring, um, just outside of Moscow, which is a series of ancient towns that are just incredibly gorgeous. They have this insane architecture. A lot of them are known for having wooden architecture, which in the snow is just the most incredible and sort of quintessential Russian picture. And Suzdal was this beautiful, beautiful little town that I wound up going back to in the dead of winter when it was totally frozen over. And it was so quiet that like I took a sleigh ride and all you could hear anywhere for, it felt like for miles was just like the beat of the horse hooves in the snow. And you'd look around and, and it was just, it felt like you were basically in the Chronicles of Narnia. So of all the places that I've been in Russia and I've been to some cool cities, like I think Sochi's awesome, St. Petersburg's amazing, Irkutsk out in Siberia where Lake Baikal is very cool. But there was something about Suzdal that just felt like a fairy tale. There, I've never been anywhere like it and I'm not sure I'll ever be anywhere again like it because there's just a, a silence or an isolation about it. And it's so historic and so old. So I think that would be my favorite. So I wound up there stranded in a hockey training camp somehow, but, but made my way over there and it wound up being one of the most memorable places I visited. That sounds cool. I never even heard of that place. Yeah. If, well, if you make it back over there, it's only a couple hours from Moscow. So it's kind of a cool, cool place to go for a couple of days. I think if you spend a week, you'd go crazy because it's, it's pretty out there, but if you spend right. a couple of days, it's like a nice break from the craziness. Mm -hmm. There's so many places over there that are so, di so different than yeah. each <laughs> other. So like it's, that's one thing about that league, man. Like you can go from, <laughs> from one place to thinking, uh, wow, this is uh, awesome. And then go to another place. And it's like, you're, you're going from, uh, it doesn't even seem like the same country. It's just uh, different, um, different time zones, almost like, I like, I mean, when I mean, time is, zones, yeah. I don't mean like hourly time zones. I mean, like, uh, like centuries. <laughs> different. <laughs> Do you know well, what I mean? I friend who she was complaining about having to take a red eye to California for work. I was like, well, I took a red eye from Moscow to Beijing once. And it was however many hours, five hours difference when I landed, like the yeah. teams don't even adjust to the time zone. Like, you know, from, from being in Beijing, like when the teams come to play there, they just stay on their local time. And then they go back, they black out the bus. It's almost like they pretend that they're not there, which is so wild to me. Like you're literally halfway across the world we on did one that. road trip. We did that at the end of the season. Finally, Fraz, uh, uh, the, the head coach, decided uh, because the players apparently had uh, said that the Russians were doing this, staying Always. staying on the – when we were basing at the end there out of Moscow, uh, we stayed on Moscow time on our, our last road trip and wherever we went, and it was the weirdest thing, man. <laughs> It was Did you black out the bus and have to wear sunglasses cuz otherwise you adjust your body tries to adjust real fast. Yeah, no, we didn't go to that extent. We just literally the whole schedule got changed, the the meals and the practices got changed to these weird times, man. <laughs> We're practicing at 9 o'clock at night or and then eating breakfast at these weird times. It was so weird oh for me. I, it messed me up. But I'm sure the players seem to like it, I guess. So um, it was, it was, that was one of the weird things about going over there. It was just the, when, to play in a league where you literally travel 
24 hours when we went to Finland uh, to, to Helsinki there. I, I was just like, I don't know how you do this as a hockey player. Like I'm just coach and I'm, I was wigged out, but as a player, that's nuts, man. Nuts. The recovery is crazy. And, and that particular team, I mean, Kuhnland tends to trend a little bit older. So the breakdown and the recovery and everything is hard. And, and if you look at some of these Far East teams, as the seasons go on later, I always keep track of the injuries because as you start to get later and you have these teams that, cause I feel like the Far East teams tend to get the bulk of the travel um, because when they come over, they spend a longer period of time. There are more teams to play in the Moscow region. So they wind up staying longer, having to adjust. The, the breakdown is real. It's, it's not easy to make those trips consistently. And then you guys, that was the COVID exile situation where you yeah. wound up on the road for weeks and weeks and weeks. And we're basically living out of your suitcases for, I, I forget how long it was like, what, 40 days or something. Yeah. Like Jake, Jake Chelios was telling me that all of his stuff was in a box at the airport and he got it back in the middle of the summer. And you guys had left in, I don't know, late December, early Jan. Cause I think I, I think I was with you the last time that you were in China and then that was it. And you never yeah. came back. It was wild. Yeah, it was, uh, <laughs> it was definitely an experience. I'll, I'll say that it was really strange. I, I'll tell you though, I enjoyed, uh, Moscow, like basing out of Moscow, and it may, it was. A, I'm not going to lie. I would say most of the most of us were like it was a bit of a blessing, uh, mm -hmm. even though we were living out of a suitcase and whatnot. It was just nice to not every single trip be this monstrosity <laughs> of a road trip. You know, they were smaller now. Once you're based on, it's still not small in comparison to here in North America, but uh it was way more manageable you know what i mean so i think everybody was kind of breathing a sigh of relief that we weren't going to have to do these crazy road trips for the last stretch which you know it because those guys were done at the end of the season they were like you said they were they were spent by the end and it's tough when you're you're, you're fighting for playoff spot and 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 these games are so important they're putting their bodies on the line at the end you could tell they were just they had not, they literally you know when you, you you know the saying as an athlete you know you leave it all out there empty the tank you know they le legit did they had nothing left yeah. they were done totally i can remember actually being with them um, in games where they had just come back from a road trip. And usually that turnaround was pretty quick too. So you had a long road trip in the West. You probably adjust because it's a couple of weeks. You come back East. Maybe you have 48 hours and then you're back out on the ice playing. First period, they look like themselves. Halfway through the second period, they look like themselves. And then it's like the Energizer bunny just powering down. It's like, <laughs> yeah. and then all of a sudden the gas goes out. And you could see it. I, I could actually see it every time I watched them on that first game back. And it takes a while to get your legs back underneath you when you're adjusting essentially night and day. I mean, maybe it's not a perfect 12 hour span, but it's substantial. So yeah, I've, I've never witnessed anything quite like it. It's, it's really something that's unique to the, the KHL. Um, I've always thought it's very cool how much is included geographically and how diverse the league is. Um, yeah. But it's, it's also just crazy to me what the players go through 
um, during a regular season to, to kind of get those miles in. It's, it's a lot. Yeah. That's one thing I thought was really actually kind of cool about the league that was so different when, as opposed to playing or coaching over here uh, in North America, it's like the league's pretty, it's the same everywhere you go. Like there's cities are nice, different, you know, a little bit different, but it's basically the same. You're in America, you're in Canada, nothing changes. But over there, it's like you, you travel to one place and it, it's like you're in a totally different culture. Uh, you know, going to, uh, uh, where's Berries? Oh, in North Sultan in Kazakhstan. Yeah. You go there. Cool. Totally. The people, and they even look totally different. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like a totally different, I, I was like, these people are Oriental. Like I, I was like, it was just so strange. I, I, I until you uh, dig into the history, uh, it, it was mind boggling to see. And then you go to uh, Minsk, you know, and then, you know, and then uh, Riga, uh, you know, yeah. Latvia, like, so, and then Helsinki and, so you're in all these different places, uh, and, then, and then China. Uh, it just it, it's uh, it's a really neat uh, experience. There's a lot of ups and downs, no doubt. Like I I have plenty of stories, but uh, overall, it's a like I, I tell people right now. I said I'd go back if the right offer and the right team. You know, there's some places I wouldn't go, but. Uh, yeah. Given the right place. I, I found that really a real cool experience. Yeah, it's a hockey experience like no other. There's not many other places where you could you could go through all that and, and see what you see in one season, you know. No, like that's it, that's the other thing. I was only there for one year and <laughs> but it feels like 20. <laughs> some of it yeah, some of it was a little bit nuts, but it did feel like you 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 know jam-packed it all this stuff into one year it was like overload and when yeah especially when i was writing stuff down for this uh podcast it was like i can't remember a lot of it because it happened well, so much happened you know one thing that i was thinking about was the fact that going back to when we met kumun was in shenzhen because there was some kind of political celebration in the capital so they get pushed out of beijing to basically the border with Hong Kong, they're all the way down south. Um, and that yeah. was my first trip of the season because I came out when you were there in September. Right. And I just remember while I had, I was staying in a hotel. I wasn't staying where you guys were. You guys, I think were at the Kali, but I was maybe two blocks, let's say further away. And you walk to the rink. And by the time you get to the rink, you have to change clothes because <laughs> you're so soaked from the humidity i've never experienced anything like that and then you come into the rink and you have to play hockey somehow in this you know 900 degree basically steam box which is what it, i mean the rink was super cool but the i just remember the fog rolling off the ice i thought how are these guys going to be able to see it's just unreal <laughs> that whole shenzhen time okay i gotta be careful i can't say you know, we talked about i can't say too much uh about you know the team and everything but i can't yeah. i can't there <laughs> talk about the weather there uh we had a practice rink a t 
and then not you know there's that game rink which was actually quite nice it was cool it was yeah it was sick, actually yeah. but the, pra- the practice rink so we we get we get there and uh it's not it's not ideal let's just say <laughs> okay. um it, it looks it looks all right like it, you know it's a the facility the whole thing is it was quite nice but anyways there's a up in the second row you could see windows all around you could see the outside so it's kind of lit like an outdoor kind of thing it's, it was weird but anyways uh i i go to go out on the ice early and uh and get things ready for for smitty and shimmy to to do some goalie stuff and uh, i get out there and it's real quiet it's just me and i i always love that part you know, smelling the ice and i'm like okay this is cool and it's really quiet and all of a sudden i hear some i hear like a drop 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 and like it, it sounds um uh like rain and and i'm like what the hell and i look up and sure enough right on my face a droplet of <laughs> rain uh and then another one and then another one and then i i i look and i'm listening and it's the noise of rain hitting the ice <gasps> and i look up and <laughs> It, it's it's like it's raining and i get off the ice and i go back into the coach's room and i tell fraz and casper i said hey uh i just uh, thought i should let you know before we hit step on the ice man that uh it's fucking raining <laughs> and fraz is like what are you talking about it's like 100 degrees outside i don't know on the ice and he's like what the hell and he was almost kind of mad at me and i he goes out there and I said, I'm telling you, man, go check it out. It's fucking raining. And uh Castor and Fraz go out there and sure enough, it's 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 le- legit sounds like it's raining and it's the condensation, right? Uh the the machine or whatever wasn't hooked up properly. I don't know what the whole thing was, but it it was dripping so much that it was making uh these these kind of holes in the ice. And uh yeah, that was the, that was a, a funny story. I, I was going to save that one for Casper when I had him on the podcast. But <laughs> that was the weather. The weather there was so, so hot, man. And that was back when we were supposed to, well, the league wanted us to wear those uh, uh, suits. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I ixnade that. But uh, early on, you kind of, I did it. And I was like, walk to the <laughs> to that ring. You, you legit had to have a second uh, a shirt because no, you did. It was brutal. You did the first practice I came to. I had a parka on and a pair of jean shorts because I could not adjust one way <laughs> or the other. And so I would like walk in in my t shirt and my shorts. Then I'd put the jacket on. I'd go out to the ice. I'd still be hot. I'd take the jacket off. So I'm standing basically on the bench in shorts and a t shirt. Then I'd get cold. Maybe. 45 minutes in because then maybe like they start to close the doors because they kept the problem was anytime the door was open the humidity would come in and then you'd start to see the steam coming up it was like being on an episode of Ghostbusters so finally when they would close the door I would get cold but I would have to bring multiple outfits because it was like multiple climate zones depending on where you were in the arena outside I've I've never experienced anything like that it was just it was really surreal going through that well, that whole that whole time in in Shenzhen was uh, 
because a lot of the staff there, like it wasn't set up. Uh, there was a lot of growing pains and, yeah. and the, I'll, 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 I'll just say that, but uh, <laughs> you know, they, everybody was trying. Uh, you mentioned Kimberly Newell, the, the goalie that was playing for the women's team and she has Chinese heritage and uh, they wanted me to, to, to skate with her. So I went to, uh, I'll tell this one story. I went to to go skate with her. I was going to have a a practice, uh, just her and I on the ice, and get to know her and see what she's like, and maybe see where we could help her out and whatnot. So I, I get out on the ice uh, to get ready again, and uh, they shut the lights off on me. Oh my god! They sh- they shut the lights off, and they know I'm scheduled. Like I literally, I'm going to the rink. They're turning the, it all on for me and Kimberly, and they 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 sh- they shut them off, and and it goes black. And I'm like, what the hell? And all of a sudden, boom, the the all these the light show starts going, and they actually had a pretty sick. They had you know the three dimensional shit on the ice. I and, remember that. Yeah. And then this the full on music blaring like. Just rocking. It wasn't the Kunlun goal song. No, right? no, no, no. It was actually some some pretty cool. It was pretty funny. It was not bad, but the whole light <laughs> show is going on the ice and everything. And I'm like, what? Okay, hello. I'm I'm literally I had the pucks on in front of the goal net with the the cameras and stuff, and and they're they're doing. So I go off the ice and I'm like, uh, what the hell's going on? And I get one of the managers to uh see what's going on though they're uh they're doing the prep for the the pre the game because the, there was a uh, a game a late maybe a ladies game i can't remember there was a game later maybe our game i can't even remember but they're practicing for that you know preparing i'm going yeah but i'm on the ice and, <laughs> like it it was the funniest thing and i actually got it on i got it on my phone because it was, I'm yelling, I'm like, hello, and nobody's listening. They're just playing it. And I'm like, okay, uh, I don't know how they're going to, I couldn't even communicate because I think the, everybody there was Chinese and, and it was, it was just a gong right. show, but it was kind of funny because Kimberly came out uh, as it, they were still trying to get them to <laughs> shut it off. And we just sat there on the bench and watched the light show. That is so funny. Actually, it reminds me, um, the season before the team was in Shanghai, I've told this, I I don't know if I told you this story before, but the guys, when they would warm up, they would play just this god-awful, atrocious, I don't even know that you can call it a playlist. Like, I don't know what was playing, but it was not good. And they would play it every time the guys came out for for the warm-up. So I called Brandon, and and at the time, Greg Squires was on the team, and I was like, look... um, give me like five songs that you guys really like that you listen to in the locker room and let me see if I can talk to them upstairs and get them to play it. So they gave me a couple songs. It was like Drake. I think they wanted to come out to, to Meek Mill or whatever. So I cut the songs so that it's, you know, cutting straight in, no intro, just, you know, the way that they would play it in, a, in a, an arena. Yeah. And I brought them up, cut and numbered. And I just said to the DJ, play these five songs. All you got to do is press play and let them roll through. You don't even have to shuffle it. Just play these songs one, two, three, four, five. And he's like, okay, warm up. And I'm like, we good? He's like, yeah, 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 warm up. So I go down to the bench because I used to videotape um, when I was there. 
their pregame warmup for their Instagram live. And so I'm there and I'm taping and Meek Mill starts playing and I'm like, okay, like my boy got us. And then all of a sudden he plays all five tracks at the exact same time. So it's like Meek Mill, Drake, whatever, whatever. And all of the tracks are playing at once. It was like, <laughs> I don't know what it, it was like having a I'm like, it, it just, the whole place was exploding. And I'm looking up at him and he's giving me the thumbs up from the DJ booth and the players are looking at me and I'm just like, I want to kill myself. So I've, I've had experiences with arena shows in China. And so I know we've, I've always had like a little bit of a lost in translation moment with them, but I'll just never forget that I had just met the team really. Like I had been with them a couple of times, but this was the longest trip I had been on with them. It was my first time seeing them at home. And I was trying to help. And I was so embarrassed because they all knew it was me that had tried to fix it. And so they were just like, wow, thanks. This is great. <laughs> Much appreciated, Jillian. Well, hey, let's bounce over to China. Where are we at here? About an hour? Okay. Um, China, favorite city. Have you been to many? I've only been with the team. So right. I've been to um, Beijing. I've been to Beijing, Shanghai, and Shenzhen. Um, of the three, I think Shanghai was my favorite. Um, I was there right at the start of Chinese New Year, so all the lanterns were up. The the bund was so beautiful. Um, I took a walk kind of in that, the older part of the city, the Yu Garden. I just thought that it was mind-blowing. It was my first I'd, I'd actually been to Shenzhen for a day once. I was I was in Hong Kong for something finance related. I think I was moderating a panel at a conference in Hong Kong, and I was in Shenzhen just briefly. So Shanghai was, I would say, really my first official trip to China, and it was so cool. It was it was really beautiful. I know that the guys did not want to leave because they had been in Shanghai longer at that point than they had ever been in Beijing, and the arena in Beijing was still being built, and they had a really cool. Not that the the arena itself wasn't great in Shanghai, but I know that their living situation was quite nice. And it's such a modern city, um, has a little bit of a, a mix of a European feel. So I, I think that that was really cool. I wish I could have spent more time there. Beijing is cool too, but the thing with the Beijing arena is that it's in the Shaogong Park where a lot of the Olympic stuff is going to be. And it's so far from the center of the city. So I just wound up I know that you guys did this too. Like you would book a room for the day basically at the Holiday Inn in Shaogong Park. So that way you didn't have to go back and forth. So very often on game days for Kunlun, I was just basically sticking around Shaogong because I couldn't go really all the way back to the center and come back. Because one time I did and I got stuck in traffic for two hours. I almost missed the game. We stopped doing, We st I, at least Casper and I stopped staying there. Uh, really? Yeah. Because I just there's nothing to do there. Like, so we would we would we had a driver, right? So we would say screw it. We would drive drive all the way back, and then go just stay stay for a little bit of time at our hotel where we lived in Wang Fujin, and and then go go back to the game or or whatever. It was just it was just I don't know. It wasn't we chose to do that, but yeah. uh, it. It was, uh, you know, where we stayed, uh, speaking of China and, and Beijing, where we stayed, it was what the Wang Fu Jin. Did you ever go to that area? The Yeah, I actually the stayed area? in that. 
I stayed in that area. Um, this, either the first or the second time I was there last season, um, I stayed in and around and I got to experience like a little bit of central Beijing, which was really cool. Yeah. Um, and I went to the Forbidden City and stuff like that. And, and it was awesome to see because I had never had the chance on prior trips. I actually went to the Great Wall of China on my way to the airport once. Um, and I was with a guide. She took me, I arranged it with her. So she would take me straight to the airport and we had to get down the Great Wall of China quickly because we had stayed a little too long. So we tobogganed down the side of it to get off the Great Wall of China. Like we literally drove toboggans off the side of the Great Wall of China to get back down to the car. I was like, there's no way this is safe. And this is definitely not what the emperor had in mind when he built the Great Wall of China. But it was it was sick. Like I never could have dreamt that at seven o'clock in the morning, Beijing time, I'd be tobogganing down the Great Wall of China in February. Very cool. That's a good one. I can't say that I did that. <laughs> you didn't do that? Is that not a thing? No, <laughs> no. I, you know, it's kind of funny. I, I never did really anything when I lived there. Uh, I literally lived right next to the Forbidden City. You know, our did you go? Nope. <laughs> wow. I took, I went once. I went and bait, I went the February before you joined. Um, right. And actually it was all of our first times in Beijing, including the coaching staff because right. they had never played there. And um, after practice one day, um, Alexei Kovalev and I took a walk in the Forbidden City. And that was the first and last time I was there. Cause when you're there for a home series, people don't realize how, A, how exhausted you are and B, like how manic it is going back and forth to Shaogang. Like you probably right. don't feel like going anywhere at the end of the day. Yeah, no, you... It was a long year because of that dynamic of it being not close to us. And, yeah. uh, but, you know, a quality of living was important to us and being, you know, some of the players chose to live closer to the, there because the, that's where we, you know, practiced and stuff as well. Uh, it was, it was a challenge, but we chose to live uh, in town uh, in the central area and, uh, it it became a bit of a challenge, but yeah, the our ho my hotel, the Renaissance was uh, right next. Like you could see it actually uh, when our club lounge or whatever it overlooked. You could it was right. It's right there. It's so weird too because if you went outside our hotel and turned right, that's the Wang Fujin Street, the that beautiful shopping, and it's like basically like you're living in, in America, it, it, it has everything, you know, all the North American shops. It's, it's, it's really cool and restaurants and whatnot. And uh, you turn left out of our hotel and it's like another world. It's like 100% Chinese, no English signs, no English food, nothing. It was so weird, and that 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 way was where the the Forbidden City was just down the road there. I think um, Andre Schuster or Schuster, who played for you guys, um, he he played this season too, but was mm -hmm. with you during your season. He's a photographer, and he took some amazing photos from in and around. I think that area is called Dongcheng. I don't remember. It's where the Forbidden yep. City is, like some of those winding streets. Yeah. And, you know, like looking back at the photos he took, I just thought, what an experience for you as a hockey player. I mean, he played professionally in Tampa. He played in the NHL for a bit. 
like, could you ever have imagined um, that this is where you'd be living and where you'd be playing hockey? It's, it's kind of surreal. And he really captured it, I thought, in a really amazing and artistic way. Because, you know, naturally, I think the guys explored a little bit. But I think Andre, because he wanted to take pictures, he explored a little bit more. And he, I was just blown away by some of the things he captured when he was wandering around. It was, it was really cool. Well, I always thought that was cool. Guys like him and uh, Warwick and some of those guys, they look, they would take their spare time when we were on the road and just venture. Yeah. They were always exploring and, 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 and adventuring and, and seeing new sites. And there, if there was a place to go, a, a tourist attraction to go, those kind guys would do it. And I always, I envied that because uh, like I told you back when I played, I was not like that at all. It was all about the job and, and partying, but, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, instead of, you know, enjoying the whole experience and appreciating the whole thing, those guys seem to be ahead of their times when it comes to that, you know, yeah. I, I hats off to them for sure. Yeah. Warwick uh, texted me on new year's and he did like a very traditional new year's in Russia where he went to the Bolshoi ballet and then he went to someone's house. And I think he went to dinner at Pushkin and I was like, wow, you really did it right. And he just kind of, he's assimilated really well. Um, and Bob Hartley, who's, you know, coaching avant-garde Olms, is yeah. such a great, he's been, he's been really successful in the KHL. And when I was asking him about, you know, who are the guys that make it, who are the guys that don't, because not every import player enjoys or, or thrives right. in the league. He said, I always tell them you can't buy a half membership. You have to buy a full membership. Like come embrace it, learn a few words, just really in, ingrain yourself yeah. in the culture. And, and I think that Warwick has done a really good job of that. And, and Andre too, they, they, they develop a curiosity. So whereas I think it's easy to get sucked into that, like I'm exhausted, the rhythm of this is crazy. I'm far from home. Things are so different. They look at it more from a, a space of curiosity. And I think that that winds up really helping you make the adjustment because it's not an easy adjustment by any means, you know, and, and you Next, know that. That's, that's a good way to describe it, you know, in the difference of how you approach it. Um, that makes total sense. hundred percent. I think it's, it's true for players that come to the NHL too. I mean, not every great Russian player transitions well to the NHL and some of it, some of it's hockey style, some of it's language barrier, sure. Um, but sometimes it's about the person and, and their mentality going into a new experience. Like you're either resilient or you're hesitant. And I think mm. if you're hesitant, sometimes it makes it really hard um, to just kind of find your way. I, I definitely experienced that in Russia when I moved. I mean, there were days I, I had a breakdown in a supermarket once just crying my eyes out because I couldn't read the labels and I, I didn't know what to do. And, and, you know, I think that in many cities in Moscow included, people aren't that patient with you when you're not up to speed because it's the capital, it's fast paced. Um, and I had to go home and just kind of reset and be like, why am I here? I'm here to feel uncomfortable. I'm here to figure things out. You know, just, I had to keep reminding myself that everything's figure outable and that this is an, an enjoyable experience. Cause I think mm -hmm. sometimes you can get overwhelmed when you know, you can't read things or you're tired or, or whatever it is, but yeah. it's worth, it's worth like Hartley says, just digging deep and, and buying the full membership, so to speak. Actually, that's a great way to put it. You know, for any, any people switching leagues uh, and in different countries and considering that, you know, you need to consider that before making that decision, that final decision to go. Uh, if you're not ready to embrace it, uh, it's probably not going to work out.
<laughs> totally. Yeah, yeah. The off ice impacts the on ice. There's no question about that. Yeah, for sure. Um, I wanted to, I was going to ask you if you, you had any crazy Russian stories, like something that was, you know, obviously <laughs> you said a few, like I've got a few. Um, I, I've got one in particular that I wanted to share. I, I was going to save oh, a, a lot of my big ones for, for when Steve Casper and I, cause he said he would come on, but we're just kind of waiting <laughs> on <that one. laughs> waiting on that one. Maybe until tell me one of yours. Yeah. I want to hear it. Sorry, this, Steve. <laughs> this one, I, I, and I'm not sure hundred percent sure if it's the right city. Uh, okay. Where's, where's Vitas? Uh, they're in Podolsk. So it's okay. outside of Moscow. Okay. I think it was there. And the, anyways, this particular hotel, I'll just say it was, it wasn't the Ritz. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't the Ritz. And, uh, but that's not what the story is about. So I, I uh, and I literally, I think I'd just gotten there and, and it was a bit of a shock, this hotel for me. A few of them were, but this one in particular. I'm walking back to my room and these hotel, it's like old and dark. The hallway was lit. It was like the shining. It was like this long, dark hallway. And some of the lights were even flickering like a freaking horror movie. So <laughs> I'm walking and I'm like, this is, this is not cool, man. So as I'm walking, I'm, I'm just looking at the, the, the doors in these hotel uh, rooms and I'm on the fifth floor and it says, you know, five, five, three, one, five, three, two, five, three, three, and it keeps going and I'm walking and it's literally the longest hotel hallway I've ever been in and mine's at the end. But anyway, so I'm walking in and I'm just, so I'm get mesmerized counting the numbers of these hotel doors. Five, four, seven, 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 seven. <laughs> out of the blue this one door says 777 on it oh god <laughs> and then back so, to five five four nine five and just kept going and tell I'm me like, you tried to get in tell nope, me you tried to get you in me? i bolted straight to my room <laughs> i was like it, the only thing that could have been worse is if it said 666 that would have freaked me <laughs> but i was like what the hell you had to have been there in my that hotel room though. I mean, in that hallway, it was freaky looking. And I uh, know the hallway because every import player sends me a picture of it on their first trip there. They're like, "Oh my god, have you ever seen this hotel?" And I'm like, "Yes, I've seen this one." Did you ever hear about that room? I never heard about that room, but I've heard about the. I've I've gotten videos of walking down the hallway very slowly late at night when the lights are flickering. So I know exactly exactly the hotel you're talking about. That like I, so I, would, I was funny. legit freaked. Yeah. 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 It, it was the Clearly. weirdest thing. <laughs> to me, like I have a bunch of stories, but that one for me at the moment, I was, <laughs> that was the most blown away, freaked out of that season for me. That is so funny. Oh, I wish you had gone in, but then you may never have come out and we wouldn't be doing this. So. <laughs> No doubt. Like I, I watched too many horror movies too. So my mind was reeling. Yeah. I bet. 
I lo- locked the door, called Steve. <laughs> and you, of course, you know, Steve was totally pissed off at the whole ordeal. So, <laughs> oh, I'm sure I can only imagine. I love that. He has guy. to come on and tell that side of the story. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> he, he's gonna, once I get finally get him on, it's gonna be a great, great interview. I bet. Do you have anything interesting off the cuff? So it's actually not a Russia story, but it's a regional story because I, I traveled a lot when the year that I was based in Moscow um, a couple years ago. And um, I went to Kiev, but you can't, you can't fly to Kiev direct because of the political situation between Russia and Ukraine. So you have to take um, a layover or stopover. And I stopped in Moldova. And I took Air Moldova from Moscow to Ukraine. So a couple of weeks before I was scheduled to fly, my layover ballooned from like one hour to seven or something like that. And Chisinau, for the most part, if you ask anybody, it's not a destination. Like it's not a place that you necessarily would have high up on your list to hang out in for any period of time. So right. I was like, oh crap, I'm going to be stuck in this airport. It's basically a one room airport. So I... I landed in Chisinau. I have seven hours and I'm like, what the hell am I going to do? So I popped out and I got in a cab and I was like, show me what's good in this place. Like, let's see what's going on. So I'm with this guy and he, I mean, he was such a gem at the end of the day, but he looked like the most washed up of washed up rockers you've ever seen in your life. Like here he is like with his crazy hair and his leather pants and his leather jacket and his beat up Volvo. And he's like, Oh, you want to have a good time? Like, I'm going to show you a good time. And I'm like, okay. So we drive around Chisinau, there's nothing to see. And he's like, listen, he's like, do you know that Moldova is famous for wine? And I was like, well, I've heard that you guys make wine. He's like, all right, all right, no more city. I'm going to take you somewhere. So he drives me. Basically, I thought I was going to get murdered or like, I was going to say that that show locked up abroad. Sound like a good ending. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm sitting here. So we know that it ends maybe happily so at least halfway happily because I'm alive um I'm actually in his basement right now I don't know if you can tell but uh (laughs) I (laughs) but I I get in the car and he takes me to this this basically a cave literally a cave it's called Creek of a Winery and it's a famous winery in Moldova but it's underground and there's all these tourists lined up and they're getting ready to get on golf carts to like go through the winery. And he's like, we don't do that, Jillian. And I'm like, what do you mean we don't do that? He's like, watch this. And he floors it. He just goes driving straight into the cave in his car, like speeding down as if we're on the track at the F1. He's like winding around these caves. It's super dark. And I'm just looking around. And I don't know if you've ever seen the Bond film, um, The Spy Who Loved Me, but in that film, the villain lives on, he lives underwater in this underwater lair. And that's what this place looks like. Like we're driving down and we're in a cave and there's all these chandeliers that are made with candles and there's all these mosaics. Like it looked like a Bond villain lair and all of this wine is stored underground. And so you have, for example, Vladimir Putin's personal stash of Creek of a Wine that's over here and then you have the ex-president of FIFA's stash over here and then you have John Kerry's stash over there (laughs) and we're just driving around so he parks in this cave and he goes into some back alley store I don't know where the hell he went and he comes out with a couple bottles of wine so we're just sitting on top of his car in a cave 
basically drinking wine. And maybe I would say 45 minutes into this little ordeal, the wine suit, like, I don't know who they would have been, I guess, like the vineyard security come down and they're like, get the hell out of this cave. Like who told you that you could drive in here with your car? So he, I think he paid them off or whatever. And I guess he must've done it before. And we drive back out. And as we're coming out, he's like, you've got an hour before you have to get back on your plane. He's like, you know, I want to show you something. So we stop off right before we're getting to the airport and it's a museum. I think Pushkin, the writer lived there for a little bit. And he takes me out of the car and he sits down, there's this old piano and he basically plays a concerto from start to finish, this, this driver that I had. And he had barely said two words to me through this entire excursion. Like he was not, I had no idea what was going on. And when he finishes, he turns to me and he said, like back in the Soviet Union, I was trained as a concert pianist, but Soviet Union fell, Moldova, you know, did poorly. And, and I, I kind of lost my opportunity to be a musician. Um, so now I just, I just play for fun and he puts me back in the car and takes me to the airport. And I was so like, just shocked by the whole thing from the <laughs> winery and the basement and the wine to like this, this like amazing pianist who's just hiding in Chisinau somewhere. And, and I never forgot him. Like he was just the most memorable character I think I've ever met. And he wishes me Merry Christmas every year and, and occasionally sends me like a little voice note on WhatsApp of, of the music that he's playing. But it was just truly one of the most surreal experiences I've ever had, ever, <laughs> bar none. That actually is really cool. I love those yeah. bizarre moments. Those kinds of stories are really neat. Uh, yeah. I'm glad you shared that one. That, that's cool. I rarely tell that one because people are like, what an idiot. Why would you get in the car with this guy and go to a cave? And I was like, I don't know. When you live in Eastern Europe long enough, things stop shocking you. So you just kind of go with it. I don't know. I don't know if you experienced that, but I, I got less and less shocked over time, I think, and just kind of started going with the flow. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I'd be similar that way. I don't, uh, that, that year though, was, <laughs> there were some things, man, that I was like, what? <laughs> what <happened laughs> yeah. But, you know, I will say this, Steve and I, Steve Casper and I became really close as that year went on. And I think, uh, that helped tremendously. Uh, oh, totally. Uh, just have a, I'm not a venter per se, but you know, you just have someone to talk to and it kind of just deflates situations. You know, you can, if you're alone and you don't uh, talk to anybody about things, it kind of builds in, <laughs> inside and, and becomes yeah. worse than maybe if you have someone to, to just talk to. <laughs> it was always though. I, I ended up being more of the one, you know, the more of the chill guy. Right. So uh, it, it, it balanced itself out. We, we were a good, <laughs> we were a good combo. <laughs> well, I was going to say, it's kind of like from your coaching career, I'm sure there have been nights where your goalies have been like, Holy crap, what just happened? And, you know, yeah. unless they speak it out loud, they go, you take it to bed with you. You can't let it go. And yeah. it's really, you have to be able to to say it. And I, I remember you said you wrote a lot down. I kept a really serious diary for most of the time that I was traveling there. And it was awesome. Like going back and reading it, you remember all these crazy things. So. Yeah. You know, it, if I didn't write some of the stuff down, like I told you, I had a bad memory, like it, it'd be a shame. Yeah. You know what I mean, cause uh, I do appreciate, you know, for, for all the good and the bad, you know, 
if you focus on some of the bad things, you know, there's bad shit that happens in everywhere, any league, any time of your life. It's just, but there was a lot of good things that I experienced uh, in my time in the KHL is, is a pretty cool experience. That's awesome. Yeah, I would agree. It balances out, man. Mm-hmm. What's uh, right now, uh, you know, before we finish here, I was going to ask you right now, what you're doing, you have a pod. Are you doing a pod for the KHL or, or interview? I am. Yeah, I just, I, I just, we just relaunched IceCast, the official podcast of the KHL, uh, and I'm hosting it this season. So we had our first episode come out just yesterday. Yes, it, I feel like all the days are blending in because it was such a big ordeal getting it out, but it was either yesterday or two days ago. Bob Hartley and Slava Fatisov were the first guests on the podcast, and we'll be doing both interviews and I'm hoping to do some uh, audio documentary style episodes because I think that there's some really cool stories in and around the KHL that don't get told or that um, foreign audiences wouldn't know not having been there like some of the rivalries or the personalities and and getting to know them better so I'm doing that Um, and then I have a sub stack it's a like a paid subscription and a free one but the paid ones every week where I tell stories about either Soviet hockey history or things that are happening in the KHL, just stories that I can't tell anywhere else that I really want to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I share those on my Substack, and some really cool people like um, Scotty Bowman and Ron Duguay are on the email list. And, and yeah, so it's a lot of fun to communicate with some hockey people on a regular basis to share some of what's happening in and mm-hmm. around the, uh, the hockey world. I think sometimes, unfortunately, and fortunately, I mean, obviously the NHL is the best league in the world, but it we become very North America centric in the way we talk about hockey. And there's some really cool things, as you know, happening in other parts of the world. So I like to try and tell some of the stories about what's happening in China or Russia or some of the other countries that are in and around the KHL. So yeah, that's what I've been doing. Plus writing for the KHL because we're in the playoffs right now. That's so cool. Is the podcast on all the platforms or because I know when I saw you post it, it said SoundCloud. SoundCloud was the easiest one to share because we're still updating, but it's definitely on Apple already. It's It's been hard to find on Apple because it was originally all, the landing page was written in Russian, but we're changing it over. So Apple and SoundCloud are the two primary places that it's available. Okay. And then I'd love to get it up on, on Spotify or elsewhere. So we'll kind of see how we go, but we're just glad the first episode is out. I feel like it's very, um, there's a Russian saying that like the first pancake's always lumpy. The episode itself <laughs> came out really well, but the process of getting the first one out was a lot of work. So now that it's out, we can t- we can think about some of the details too. Oh, that's cool! So you're a, you're officially a podcaster. Welcome to the joins the club. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you like it? Is if you having fun so far? I think it's gonna be yeah. Cool. It's cool. I'm used to. I mean, obviously, when you're a podcaster, or even when you're an interviewer, you're asking the questions. But when you're on a podcast you're also part of the story so yeah. to speak and I'm not used to that like I used to be a broadcaster so I guess I have some experience there but it's definitely a little new getting used to it but it's been fun I mean I just love getting to share these amazing people and stories that I've come across and I think a podcast a bit more personal because you can hear them tell their stories in their own words whereas when I write an interview I'm reinterpreting what they're saying or transcribing and you don't always get the same feel. So it's, it's cool to be able to help people get to know some of these coaches and players, but in their own words, which is fun. 
No, I'll have to check it out for sure. I wanted to ask because you know, people might want to know what you're doing right now. And then, awesome. so that's great that you're still working, you know, uh, with the league that you love following. And I think that's great. Are, are you going to hopefully head back? Fingers crossed. I, I doubt before the end of this season, just because we're about a month out um, from the Gagarin Cup being lifted, but no doubt I will be back to Russia. I think right now I'm still waiting to get vaccinated and the border is still closed, but the minute I can get back there, I will be on a plane and uh, running around again. I When I first came home when the pandemic first hit, I was like, oh my God, I'm going to get to play the piano and do all these things that I never got to do when I was traveling like a maniac. And now I'm like, I'm ready to travel like a maniac again. Let's go. Like I'm ready. I'm well rested. I've slept. <laughs> I'm ready for some jet lag. Hit me up. So they, fingers crossed soon. I think a bunch of us are in that same boat. <laughs> I bet. I know. Yeah. I'm waiting. I'm, I'm hoping, selfishly, I'm hoping you land back in the KHL because I'd love to, to be working with you again and, and have you on the KHL pod. But yeah, I'm no, just rooting for you to wind up somewhere awesome. Thank you so much, Jillian. I had a great time. Thank you so much for doing this, man. I thought, uh, I know it took a while when I first originally uh, mentioned it. <laughs> Worth waiting for. <laughs> it kind of took a while, but uh, um, I'm glad we finally got a chance to do this. Yeah, likewise. It was great chatting with you. All right, Jillian. Well, all the best to you, and, uh, and thanks again for doing this. Likewise. Thank you. I want to thank Jillian for coming on the podcast today. It definitely was a fun chat. Yeah, I had a good time. And much appreciated that she came down to my level IQ so there could actually be uh, some kind of convo. <laughs> if you want to check out the KHL podcast that she hosts, it's called Icecast. And also her um, social media handles, uh, her Twitter is Jillian Kemmerer. <laughs> That's G. I-L-L-I-A-N-K-E-M-M-E-R-E-R. Their Insta is Caviar Diplomat. Well, that's it, man. I hope you had a good time. And hey, everyone have a great week. And remember what I always say. Stay safe, stay connected, and God bless. Peace out.